that you choose to be excellent. You don't have to be excellent for people to like you. You don't have to be excellent to make your parents happy. Um, and so you simply have the unbelievable luxury, really, of being inside of a body where if you want to be excellent, you can. Um, and that is pretty much the ultimate freedom, I suppose, as far as you, as, as it goes. And you, and you didn't lose that freedom in the traumatic event. Welcome to the second episode of the Intentional Evolution podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure of hosting my longtime tennis coach, Justin Bauer. I got to hear some of Justin's views on the different definitions of success and what they mean, some of the ups and downs that have come from a professional and coaching career in tennis, as well as some of the similarities that he's seen both in sports and in business. And like always, if you're more of a visual person, the video version of this podcast is also posted on YouTube, and I'll put the video link in the description. Thank you for listening and enjoy. All right, Justin, um, thanks for coming on, man. I'm extremely grateful to have you for for you, you know, taking some time out. I, I want to give the people listening some sort of, of context as far as how we met our relationship and, and why this is so significant for me. Um, you know, I think I you so you're my tennis coach and, and you know, I, I like to think of it now as as honestly, a little bit more of a life coach because of the things that it taught me that I can use now. Um, but we, we were connected throughout my high school years. Um, but it's interesting, right? Because before I, I met you my freshman year, uh, I, I had all the symptoms of someone that has not been necessarily challenged to a high level or held to a higher standard. And it showed up in a lot of different aspects of my life, right? Like in school, I wasn't a great student. I got in trouble at school with my parents. I had some mental health problems. Like it showed up, I, I wasn't very confident in myself. I had a, a good amount of anxiety and I wasn't a great tennis player. But I, I always considered myself someone with a relatively high work ethic, just I think because of how I was raised, but I never put it to use. I never had someone that said, well, how far can we take this thing? And sure, we, we're just <laughs> tap into it. <laughs> right. And, and there wasn't really any sort of like feedback loop, right, of, of where I had to kind of prove myself and see how this, this world worked, right? And, and after we connected my, my freshman year, you know, we, we heard of a, a tennis club that was opening like 10 minutes out from where we lived. And, and we just showed up one day and we walk into this warehouse that's just got a, like the tennis courts freshly painted on it. You were setting up the, uh, the nets and the, the, the rest is history, man. And at the end of the day, while it didn't, I didn't end up training and, and, and playing the collegiate level that I wanted to. I like to think that the skills that I learned in those three, four years of us training together gave me the framework and helped me turn into the person that I am today, which I'm you know, sure. very, very grateful for. Um, but just for, for some context, right? So you, you played professional tennis, and I think in singles you made it up to top 
180 in the world. Um, obviously dealt with some some knee injuries, which we can talk about later on. But you, you played in Wimbledon, in most major tournaments. Played in the Davis Cup, what was it, eight eight times for South Africa. Um, you ventured into the coaching world, which I think that's where you've had your biggest impact. And you've trained hundreds of students get up to the collegiate level. And you've, you've taken this framework of entrepreneurship. And I think you've, you've taken the framework that comes with tennis and that comes with the game of tennis. And you've been able to apply it into the business world and the entrepreneurial world. And you've been able to teach people that framework very well. And you've used that to start a number of businesses which are doing extremely well. And I, I, I like to start out with the accomplishments. I think that's the most fun part. But because then it allows us to dissect the pain and I think the journey that comes to actually get there. And, sure. that, and if I, yeah. let me jump in here, you know, just to add some context. But, um, you know, I think most people are exposed most of the time to to sort of a mediocre level, you know, so you, you, you're generally surrounded by people who are not super, super high achievers, you know, so it's hard to have access to a Bill Gates or a Michael Jordan or or somebody that that's going after it at that level, you know. And so what you see on a daily basis is people mostly just getting by, right? Um, and then for most people, there's kind of an itchy feeling where they're like, there's, there's, I think there's another layer. There's got to be more to it than this, you know? But because you don't see any of the skills that are required to, to move up to that next level, people are not sure how to do it. You know, they're like, well... Um, you're looking around, I see that guy doing this, I see that guy doing this, but none of those actions are elevating to that next level, you know? And I think that's the click sometimes. Like with you, it was like, you know, you came in there, you did have a lot of energy, you did want to do something with yourself, you just weren't sure how, you know? And then when you, when you see the work and you realize that it's not actually rocket science, you know, it's building little pieces of a machine one bit at a time um, and then once you have that piece built and you start to use it your results get a little bit better and that immediately leads you to the next one where you're like okay so with this one i got five or ten percent improvement if i get the next one i'll get another five or ten percent improvement and then the ball is rolling you know and then that kind of like um opens up your appetite and there's a lot of freedom in that i think that's the thing that most people don't realize what's so cool about success is you get to express yourself. You know, you get to say, has an idea in my head, but I actually have a pathway to try and get it from my head to reality. Um, and that gives you a huge amount of energy to, to push yourself forward with. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I've, I've never really thought about it like that, but it's, it, that's when, when you say it out loud, that's pretty much what I, what I struggled with my, my whole life, right? It was like I had this itch, this, this wanting to do something, but there's that frustration of like, well, how the hell do I even do it? So, you know, re really interesting. And I, I know I, I want to take it back for the beginning with you because, you know, now we're at the point where, you know, we can talk about this stuff all day, but I, I want to get into the root of like, hey, how did this path even lay out for you? 
Um, and I know one of the things that we, we've talked about in the past is like how someone's work ethic and character is shaped by how they grew up, how they were raised to a certain extent. And I want to kind of explore that with you a little bit. Like how, how were you kind of raised or how was that work ethic kind of instilled in you by kind of your, your childhood or, or, you know, plugging into things like tennis or cycling? Yeah, so, you know, I think my parents did one thing that was was extremely helpful, which is that we didn't have an opt-out button, mm. you know. So, so what I see here a lot is that um, there, there's two major psychological shifts. So, so one is that a, a kid is entitled to lessons or entitled to training. So... They get it whether they've like shown an interest in it or shown a motivation for it or not, right? Um, and we didn't have that. Ours was like, listen, you're going to come home and do your homework and, and do your thing. And if you want to do something extra, right, like if we sign you up for it, whatever it is, ballet, piano, mm. helicopter flying lessons, pick one, you have to finish that semester or six months or year, right? Um, and then if you do want to opt out, you have to finish with excellence, right? And so the very first thing that, that my parents instilled in us is that um, you don't always get to choose what it is that you do in life, right? So sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do. But doing those things really well opens up the door to then being able to do some of the things that you do want to do, right? Um, and so that gives you a sense of discipline, which, which is kind of the anchor point in, in any successful endeavor is like, look, the only way out for me is to go absolutely hard, be one of the top five in the class, even though I will never do this class again. Um, but that relationship between like when I choose to do something, I do it at the highest level possible was installed in us from a very early age. You know, and I definitely think looking back that that was extremely extremely helpful in the long run because we all need that you all need to to have that piece of like hey at least some part of my day has got to be dedicated to doing the things that i don't want to do and i'm going to do those just as well as the luxury items which is where i get to do what i do want to do doing doing the things that you don't want to do well allows you to do the fun stuff that you actually want to do you get to do more of Correct. And you, and you take care of the highs and lows and, and this nonsense because the bar is set. We're going to do it well no matter what it is, you know. So you start with consistency there too where it's, they, you, 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 there's no choice. It's not like this one I'm going to do well, this one I'm not going to do well, this one I'm not going to do it all, this one I'm going to do here. It's like this is on my plate because I chose it to be on my plate or I didn't choose it to be on my plate but it's on my plate and then I have the self-esteem and the self-worth that if you put it on my plate, mm. it's coming back finished with a bow on top and really, really well done. That, that's interesting because I, I don't think, uh, <laughs> you know, looking at it from now, like, I don't think a lot of, of people are, are raised with that level of, of standard. Um, you know, it's a little bit like, hey, you know, Sally or John's not good at math. They're not naturally good at math or reading or spelling. So, hey, just do it to level where you're passing or where you're just not getting in trouble for it. And then when you finish that stuff, you go and go play video games because that's what you like doing. 
versus what you're talking about now is like, hey, if you do this very well, it'll once you finish and do this at a high enough standard, you can go and do the things that you want to be doing. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was, you know, just the philosophy. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you break it down to kind of its most simple components, if, if me and you went to Harvard tomorrow to sit in on a lecture in physics, mm. right? And the lecturer was like, hey, you two clowns, why don't you put your headphones on? Um, because you're too stupid to get this lesson, right? Just play games, just chill. You're not going to get it, right? Um, obviously, we'd both be insulted a little bit. We'd both be like, why don't you give us a chance to see if we understand, right? Um, and so that top-down approach actually gives you a lot of confidence because your parents are communicating like, hey, you will get this and you will be able to do it at a high level, right? The question is, how do we solve problems, right? How do we get to fill in those gaps that you're missing? Because the reason you're not connecting on remainder theorem or whatever it is, um, organic chemistry is because there's, there's a piece that you don't understand, right? So let's get you that piece. Let's put the effort in to find you that piece. Um, and once you have that piece, you're gonna be able to do well in it, right? So indirectly, you know, because it's so uncommon to think like this these days, they're actually telling you you're capable, mm. right? The underlying message is you got this, man, you can do it. Like the reason we put that bar in is because um, with enough effort and with enough resolve and with enough like attention to how am I solving problems, you, you can get it, you know? And so I guess that's, you know, you don't know it at the time, but that's how I always felt. I always felt like no matter what the problem was, if you put enough energy towards it, right, and you look in the right places, you're gonna find the answers that are gonna move you forward, right? Um, and I think there's actually enough science out there now that genius can be created versus genius being born, you know? And so it removes the magic layer. It's like a magic trick when you see the budgie going up the guy's arm and you realize, okay, the bird just snuck up the arm. There's no magic ingredient to it. Um, it's a question of the work, how you solve problems, you know, so if you solve them in a smart way or if you have a good system of like identify problem, try some kind of solution, see if the solution worked, lather, rinse, repeat, you can pretty much crack anything you put your mind to. Well, and I think what it, what it does is also is when you remove that, when you, when you, go, when you approach it with this framework, it, it empowers the individual. Because it's no longer the, the blame of, hey, I'm not good at this. Or, hey, you know, the only people that aren't understand this are the ones that are smart or have an IQ above a certain number. Like, hey, you know, this is just not for me. I'm going to go do what I, what I think I'm good at. Versus when you approach it with this, approach like, hey, you know, you can do it. It might be harder to do it than this genius, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. Totally. You know? So you're not getting that self-esteem hit that people get because that's a huge block you know if you start believing like deep down in your soul that you really can't do something that's a massive obstacle to overcome right versus if you if you if you grow up in a world or you install in yourself an attitude of like listen you know if i put the time in if i attempt to solve the problem in a smart way and I get the help that I need. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, I need a tutor. 
get a tutor, it doesn't matter. You know, look on YouTube, there's lots of resources now to get the information that you need. Um, but you're far better off running that system than you are just accepting, okay, I'm not good at math, math isn't for me, right? Um, and, and then what you want is you wanna create choices for yourself, right? So if you start on a math problem and you're not doing well with it and you say, right, math isn't for me, you just killed 20 careers. Architecture, working for NASA, boom, 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 anything to do with that, you just killed, right? And you may have killed it prematurely because it may end up being that your math skill takes so much time to master each element, right? That it would take you 100 years to get to the NASA level. That's fine. At least you know that because you put the effort in, proper, real, legitimate effort, and you didn't just make an emotional decision. You say, okay, so that really isn't for me because nobody's good at everything. Um, but it's more just the underlying philosophy there of like, look, for the most part, within reason, if you put the time in legitimately and really bust it, right, you can get there, you know? Um, and then last thing on that is, is and this is something that, that you obviously saw on the tennis court, is most people's idea of like really going after it is to get a tutor for like two hours a week, mm. right? And when you started playing tennis, trying to get to the college level, and I was like, this is 25, 30 hours a week, we're right. talking like real effort, right? Um, and it's the same, imagine a kid who's struggling with math who suddenly starts to put 25 to 30 hours of work in outside of the classroom, right? I'd be hella surprised to see that his math grades don't go up, you know? So, so that's the other piece of it is, is just knowing, like, listen, like big effort is a lot more than I did an extra 15 math problems this week. It's like I did an extra 250 and I did an extra six hours of like tutoring and whatnot, you know? So, so that's the other thing is, is just understanding what like a genuine push looks like. What do you, so, when you when you first started, um, you know, getting into, you know, I want to just start with tennis, um, and you you know realize, hey, this is something I, I want to take on seriously. Um, I mean, when I first started playing tennis, I had no idea the a amount of effort that it takes to really be good at something, and it you know you apply it into anything. Who was the one that kind of showed you the framework of, hey, you know, it's going to take an immense amount of effort to get to the level that you actually want to, and how did you actually like accept that challenge and, and go through that journey of putting in that massive effort with your coach? So, yeah, well, so first of all, I was lucky enough to work with, you know, arguably one of South Africa's best coaches ever. You know, there's basically two names on that list. And one is a guy named Harry Dippenar. Um, and then there's another one, Leonie van der Linde, you know. And it's just a little bit of luck that she was 10, 15 minutes from my house. Um, but anyway, I went to this, this, my very first coach for, for two lessons and it was the typical like multiple pats on the back. You know, you get a gold star just for breathing kind of a person, you know, well done for showing up today, Justin, he has a lollipop. Oh, wow. You took two steps without falling over. He has a lollipop, you know, and it was just this constant barrage of like compliments for not doing anything. And so I was like, this just doesn't work for me. Like, I don't want to be told I'm amazing because my hair is combed. You know, I need a little more than that. Anyway, so by luck, I kind of drove past on my bicycle Leone's program, 
and there were kids just dying. I happened to catch like fitness at the end of the day and there was like one guy like hunched over by the fence about to throw up and there were another couple of guys just busting it. Um, and she was like military drill sergeant, just tough, you know? And I was like, this, this is my game. So I showed up there, told my parents, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go check this thing out on my bicycle. Went in there and she's like, you know, who are you and what are you doing here? And I was like, listen, this is the thing. I'm your guy, you've never seen talent like this. And she's like, oh boy, here we go. So then she's like, all right, here's what you're gonna do. Okay, you see the wall over there? You're gonna show up and you're gonna hit against the wall from three o'clock to five o'clock every day for the next 30 days, okay? I don't wanna talk to you, I wanna see you, I just want you to show up and do that for 30 days. So I did it for 30, you know, I'm hitting, I'm hoping she's gonna like check me out, I'm like. Um, but 30 days goes by, and so, you know, walk over to a court and I'm like, 30 days, did it? She's like, that's lovely, she's like, come here. She's like, all right, your grip's terrible, so put your hand like this on the racket, and now when you touch the ball, it has to roll forwards, okay? I'm gonna give you 10 days to master that, come back when you've mastered it, right? Brushing, brushing, right? And that's, and then she's like, okay, so it's like 45 days in, I'll give you your first private lesson, right? And so that's how that ball got rolling. So like the very first thing she did is like weed out the people who weren't committed, because here you are a little 11 year old and she's like, it's up to you to show up 30 days in a row. I don't care about your parents. I don't care. You are going to show me through your actions that you're committed, right? And then being invited into a program, you know, I didn't know it so much at the time because I wasn't in the loop, but like, you know, her program was impossible to get into. You know, the waiting list was like 500 kids and it was like only the absolute top, 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 top of the food chain gets in there. And it wasn't so much top of the food chain results-wise yet, because she's like, I'll build that. Like, I'll get you the results, that's my expertise. It's more that personality type that's hungry, that's committed, that shows it can show up, shows it can work hard. Um, and I was, I was chubby, man. I was probably packing 35 pounds of excess at that. I was a little round butterball. Um, but yeah, that's how that got started, you know? And then, um, you know, she did two things as well. So one was you had your lesson, and then after your lesson, you had to go and rehearse the lesson, like shadow, for an hour, right? Um, and then the next week when you came back, you had to do your lesson, shadow for one hour, have your new lesson, and then shadow the new lesson for an hour. So each lesson was like a three-hour package, and it forced you to remember what you did before, it forced you to do the next one, pay attention, and then remember the next one so you could go and shadow that one afterwards, um, which was a very interesting like learning loop because it made it that you can learn, I think, at a really quick speed. Um, and then that was it. And then from the very beginning, it was super high standard, um, super um, hard, you know. Um, it wasn't always the, the friendliest of words, you know, she was tough. Um, but, you know, I, I always liked that. You know, I, I was never scared off by it. Well, wh why do you um, think that is? Why do you think, you know, because I, lo looking at it from a, you know, an 11-year-old's point of view, you, you have one coach who was saying, you know, good job, Justin, good job, you're, you're doing great. And then you see this other coach and there's kids throwing up and there's kids, you know, <laughs> working to, you know, getting pushed to the extreme. There's a clear, like, one's obviously going to be easier than the other. I think most kids would just say, hey, I'd rather have the easier, the path least resistance. I'm 11 years old. 
why do you think you chose the other path? I think I think it, it comes down to that like early beginning piece that we spoke about earlier, which is, you know, my idea of a coach that was like in my head. Um, I'm not sure if it came from parents or, but you maybe it's just the movies you watch at the time or I don't know, but was that they are there to get you from 85 to 100, right? So that point where you start to be like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore and I'm tired and I want to go home and I've had enough. They're there to be like, practice isn't over. This is when we only start working, right? Um, so that was my expectation really is like, I wanted someone to, to pull that piece out of me, you know? And again, I suppose everybody has like ideas or thoughts that are, that are really helpful. Um, and so maybe that was one of the ones that who knows where it came from, but it was super helpful to me is like, you know, I just never expected anything less. I, I, I thought this is hard. And in order to get the best out of me, um, my assumption was that I was going to be soft in certain areas. Um, you know, I was going to be willing to quit because I was unfit. I was going to be willing to kind of look for shortcuts and, and take a break and I kind of knew that that was how I would be and that a good coach was going to be like, those shortcuts are done. That stopping now is done because we're going to go further. Um, that, so that was always my expectation. So I think I was, I was always looking for that for whatever reason um, and absolutely thrived in it, you know? Right, and I think we kind of relate and I think that, that kind of framework. But looking at it from... You know, going on to when you became a coach, speed up for a little bit. Um, when you look at, I think, the pool of parents or kids that want to get into that fit, that criteria that you're looking for in a coach versus the pool of kids that will pay you the X amount of money just for the lesson, you can just coast. From a, from a business point of view, from a revenue point of view, you can argue that it, it's more profitable to be the coach that is happy, you know, goes for the just the easy way out because it, it brings in a larger pool of people versus the approach that you take. It's like, well, is that even economically sensible at this point? Because <laughs> sure. you know, you're going in and they're saying, you know, my first session, I almost passed out with and I'm 11 years old. I don't want to go back to this anymore. I want to go back to the friendly guy. How, how yeah, do you, I think <laughs> like I don't I don't know it's <laughs> it's hard when when you're you're making a a you're making that transition to becoming a coach and this is your profession to make that choice that hard choice of saying hey I'm gonna my standards gonna be up here even when and economically it might not make the most sense. Sure. Look, I think you know over the years I've made my my mistakes with that um, and. You know, I've obviously gotten a lot better at, at selecting clients that, that fit what, what I'm trying to do. Um, and, but at the end of the day, you know, what, what I, and this is part of the stuff that's, that's in my course that's coming up is, you know, they've just recently changed the, like, this, the, the technical name, but it's basically, they call it the Google syndrome, right? Which is when Google started to remember all your phone numbers, right and when you just have to type an address in and it shows you exactly where to go to get to a place mm. 
that didn't make people smarter. It made people remember less numbers, right, and remember less directions, right? So my grandfather, who could tell you how to get to like a certain rock in the desert, you know, three clicks this way, three clicks that way, watch out for wind direction, um, and he could direct you to, to hundreds of locations, to now people can do nothing at all, right? It's like without Google Maps, they wouldn't even be able to get home kind of a thing, right? Um, and I think parents have unfortunately taken the road of the more I do for my kid and the more comfortable they are and the more nice their childhood is, the better it is. Um, and unfortunately, that actually isn't correct because what happens is if you don't have problems to solve and you don't have challenges and you don't have that positive growth stress, um, you don't grow. And so what happens is if you look at it from a realistic point of view, like in the current day and age, we don't have to survive very much. Like our survival skills are not tested almost at all on a daily basis, right? And as a result, you get to a point where like your starting point on survival skills is so low that asking you to survive something tiny, like 30 push-ups, I have people breaking down, you know, and I have parents seeing the child upset and pulling the child, right? I have them go to a match and they're crying afterwards because they lost and parents going like, this isn't for you because look how upset it's making you, you know? And, and it's actually the other way around. It's like, look, if this is the first sort of survival thing that they're doing, it's going to sting because having to survive, having to conquer hurts. And it hurts you emotionally. Like the physical pain is nowhere near as bad as the emotional pain. But the emotional pain is hard, you know. Um, but instead of like backing down from it, you, you want to move towards a little bit and be like, you know what, it's okay, right? I can handle this. Um, I'm going to get better at handling it. And so you slowly become accustomed to, to, to failing, you know. And I think that's a huge, huge problem in today's world where, where the emphasis is on I don't want my kid to feel insulted ever. I don't want them to fail very much. I don't want. And then you go out in the real world and you do a job like your job where it's like, um, you know, I've got to create sales. And out of every 100 calls, I'm getting three people that follow through. So that's 97 failures. You know, and if you weren't accustomed to failure and bouncing back and persisting, you would quit a hundred times over because like, it's too hard for me. There's 97 failures is more than I can take. Um, and so, although it's not economically maybe the best way to go about it, right? Um, there's also a part of me that like it would be a sellout to do it any other way because I'm not here to, to have my presence just be there and collect dollars, right? Um, that is an extremely low impact way to live your life. Um, and it also means that you've switched over from like genuinely caring about the individual and genuinely trying to be a part of their growth to I just want your money, my friend, right? And so it's corrupt. It's like, I'm gonna give you the 50% that you want so I can get the money that I want, but it's not actually addressing the like, hey, I'm gonna try to show you what that really high level existence looks like because that's what I can do for you. Um, 
And if you choose to accept that and say, right, I'm going to run it, um, I'm going to open doors for you that wouldn't otherwise be opened, right? And so, you know, when I look back at like my former students, you know, like the relationship that I have with them um, and the success stories that we've been able to create, create afterwards for like unbelievable like success academically or financially or whatnot, you know, that, that is the payoff for me, right? And so you, you just shift to a non-money motivation, really. And, and it's interesting, right, because the, the, from what I vividly remember when, when I would train with you, it was a lot of the times one of the things that you, you drilled on was at the end of the day, it's not like tennis. If you go play D1, you have another four years left. Tennis is not what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life, realistically speaking. This was, it was always about using tennis as a tool to teach you the fundamentals and the framework to be able to use these skills for the rest of your life. And that was something that I didn't really understand until I, I stopped playing tennis, right? And I, I got injured and, and I was in school for my grades were actually what got, in, got, in, got me into the school that I wanted to go to. It wasn't tennis. But it, it, it's really interesting seeing that dynamic of like, you know, we, we'd have these lessons, we'd have these sessions where I'm learning a specific skill, but you're like, the only reason why I'm teaching this is because it's, it's obviously going to help you in tennis, but more importantly, it's what's going to help you in the real world. Where, as, as a coach, where do you feel like you get that sense of priority like do you get that little satisfaction more from when you when you're able to teach someone and see that breakthrough in tennis or is it more of you know that it's at the end of the day what's going to help them in in life at the end of the day for the, it's the whole thing you know so i mean obviously the the tennis is pretty much anything it's, it's a justification of the process right so it's like if you change your process and you're now training 25 hours a week versus 10 you're problem solving a different way you're handling failure a different way and, and you're building up like an internal arsenal of of emotional control you know so you now know how to create motivation you don't have to wait for it to come to you you now know that frustration can lead to determination so you're not scared of being frustrated anymore because if, if you use it correctly it's going to supply you with the energy to keep going versus frustration turning into being forlorn and depressed and, and quitting in life right so that's a mental error that's that's all that that is and if you teach yourself that wait i'm not going to let this thing make me feel that way because i have the power to choose what external thing has an effect on me right and so you start to master those, those things, and those are things that are, are absolutely valuable in the, in the rest of the world, you know? And so, you know, for me, it's a question of like, well, if you're ego-driven, right? So going back to the previous thing, it's like, okay, look, if, if I put my presence on the court and I pack the court with eight people at a time and I make $400 an hour, I can have somebody come over to my house and show them my Ferrari, right? And now I'm getting rewarded because somebody's patting me on the back and saying, wow, JB's able to create a Ferrari. I'm able to create an inanimate object that's red and shiny, right? 
The other way to go about it is to say, the people that I've worked with are gonna go on to be high quality people, right? They're gonna go on and they're gonna shape A, fun careers for themselves, Hopefully they're going to get themselves involved in things that are going to be helpful to, to a lot of people. And so my reward is that hopefully I'm contributing to the world in the way that we're helping to create really good people, right? And my underlying philosophy that, that's been there since as, as long as I can remember is that the human being is worth how many billions of dollars? If you had to go to MIT and say, I've got an unlimited budget, build me a human right? Billions and billions and billions and billions. So you get one of them for whatever reason, God or the stars aligned or, you know, whatever your belief structure is, but you, you wake up inside of one. You've got this billion dollar machine that's yours to use for the rest of your life, right? Now you can rent it out for a hundred grand a year, but that's a bad business model. If you had a billion dollars worth of cash, and you were getting a hundred grand a year in interest on it, somebody in your business school would be like, dude, you've got to get a better interest rate than that. Mm. Surely, right? So I don't want to rent myself out for a hundred grand a year or 150 grand a year or even a million dollars a year because it's not good use of the billion dollar machine, right? And so that's why money has not necessarily been a huge driver for me because it's like, there are other currencies in play, you know, so Bitcoin is a good, easy example, but trust, right, excellence, those are currencies that the world needs as much as they need NFTs or Bitcoin or a different version of money, right? And so that's really the currency that I, that I trade in is like, I want excellent people. I think the world needs a lot more of them. Um, I was not a particularly excellent person. I came from a very middle-of-the-road household. Um, and I was able to shape some really excellent results for myself. So if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? I have absolutely no doubt of that. And there's people that are far more talented than me. So getting involved with those people and showing them the way, who knows what the upside potential is, but that's what it's all about for me deep down. Yeah, and... I think you can make the argument that you you have the right intentions, you have that framework, and we'd love to expect the fact that you know the people that have the right intentions that think this way are going to be the ones that have the highest level of success in the end. But when when looking back and thinking about kind of some of the things in, in your own journey, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like for example, that first knee injury that you had within your, your tennis career, right? You're, even though you're doing everything right, there's still these negative events that you still need to work through. How, sure. What, walk me through that. Because I, I, I've had those things happen to me and, and the first thing that comes into my head is, is A, frustration and B, uh, I can't help it but the victim's mentality, right? Where you go, dude, like I'm doing everything right. I'm putting in the hard work. I'm making all the sacrifice and then this crap still happens to me how do you how do you shift out of that man like it's it's extremely frustrating extra because when you think you're doing everything right and yet this sure. crap still happens to you yeah and you know for me when i had my my first knee injury right so i'll take you through through both knee injuries um i kind of had that like dumb nothing's gonna stop me like this is just a 
an obstacle that I'm going to get through idea, right? And so I rehabbed like crazy. I had surgery. I was out for about two years. Every single one of my doctors told me, like, you get, you're crazy to play again because you've just taken out a third of your tendon. There's hardly any tendon left. You know, so if you're stopping after sprinting at full speed and the whole tendon couldn't stop you, now you've got two-thirds of it. That's not going to stop you nearly. It's like putting bicycle brakes on a Ferrari and, you know, it's not going to stop the car well. But anyway, so I did that, came back, had a couple of good results, um, but it wasn't the same. I wasn't able to train that much. I was getting a lot of swelling. I was in a lot of pain a lot of the time. And then I had to have the second surgery. And that second surgery was, was the end of the denial for me. So denial was actually like a great tool early on because I just forged ahead and I was just like, I'm not listening to anybody telling me that you can't do this. But that second one um, was like, oh shit, like the reality is that my body might actually not be able to handle the performance requirement at this level, right? Like it's, it's really fast and it's really hard and some of the best athletes on the globe are doing this. Um, and I'm trying my best to be there, but my body is breaking, mm. right? It's like I just... And, and that one was really hard for me because that was, that was the beginning of definitely the victim mentality, right? But also an enormous amount of fear because my whole self-esteem plus the respect, you know, I'm a little bit famous in my own country. I can go to the grocery store and people will be like, hey, JB, dude, mm -hmm. why don't you give us a little signature? That's kind of cool. And that's all gone now, right? I'm stripped down to nothing. I'm no longer a tennis player. I've got two years of seriously hard rehab. I've done it before. I've got to do it again ahead of me. And that's just to get back to like functionality. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is something that I think has also anchored why I'm so interested in, in psychology at the moment um, is because there's not really a great easy access to the help that you need right in a lot of ways so it's you know it's the positive help of developing yourself like people need help with figuring out how to do that and then they also need help with when they get stuck right um you know so at school um you, you have a problem you say hey i'm having a hard time where do i carry the one where do this and they show you all right do this you got it right but when you get mentally stuck um there's still kind of that perception that you have to be like something wrong with you to go see a psychologist or to go and see. And luckily for me, I, I basically woke up the one morning and I was like, listen, if I don't take care of this, it's going to, to impact me for, for much, much longer than, than I care to be impacted. And so I did, I called around and I found a guy who was a, who was a really good sports psychologist. Um, and I went and had a couple of sessions with him. So I was like, all right, you know, he has, he has the lay of the land. Um, he has what I'm feeling. Like I'm feeling super empty, super unmotivated, super stuck, super kind of like angry because, you know, I was, I was there. I'm playing in Grand Slams. I, I've got 42 professional titles that I've won. Um, I still have the 2000 and 2004 record for most titles won in America. Uh, I was there. I'm, I'm, the level is there, you know, all I got to do is just do this thing and I can't anymore, right? Um, and so sad, like really, really, really a huge loss for me. I basically just lost it, everything that I spent my whole life on. Um, 
And he sorted me out in three sessions. You know, he basically was like, he's like, look, here's what I want you to do. Here's a homework project. I want you to go and find 10 other athletes whose careers got stopped midway through, right? Had a look, Gustavo Quirton was one who hurt his hip, Patrick Rafter was another one, a couple of other football guys and whatnot. And these were top athletes whose careers broke, right? And then he was like, okay, so from talking to you, what I'm getting is that if you had changed your training or if you'd known more or if you had been smarter, you could have prevented this outcome. So why you're really angry is you're blaming yourself because you're thinking I'm going through this really hard thing and it's my fault. I inflicted this upon myself. What an idiot. I, I killed the thing that I spent my whole life building. And he's like, unfortunately, that just isn't true. Look at all these other guys that have had the same thing happen to them and they had the best gyms, the best doctors, the best facilities. And he's like, the reality is that if you own a NASCAR and you're racing at 400 miles around the track, your engine's gonna blow and wheels are gonna touch other wheels and you're gonna crash the car. And sometimes the car's unrepairable, you know? And he's like, in your case, that's it. So that helped me a lot with like accepting and making peace with it and stopping blaming myself for, for basically being an idiot and causing it to myself. Um, and that's when the next, as soon as that kind of closure happened, I was able to say, okay, now that I don't feel so bad that it's, that it's, that it's all on me, what can I do with the rest of my life? So that's when the next thing started. So then I moved into finance. Um, and then the guys from Athletic DNA, one of my good friends, Evan, called me up and he's like, hey man, we've got some startup money. And he's like, let me just give you the underlying thing here. But we basically had a student who was terrible. You know, tantrums, super um, OCD, um, getting in trouble at school, not focused. And then he started training tennis in the right way. And now he's a straight A student. He's excelling, he's top five in the country. And it's almost as if he's had a DNA transplant. It's almost like he has athletic DNA. You know, and that came out over a couple of beers. And so they were like, we gotta brand this thing, man, athletic DNA. So that's how athletic DNA, the company was born. And they just, happened to call me and say, JB, we want you to be a part of this thing, man. Let's rock and roll. So, so that's when I came back to the States and uh, just kind of been in that world ever since. It, the, this, it's really interesting hearing you talk about the, uh, that, that trauma of like blaming yourself. Um, but even when you take someone that has the work ethic of yourself, right, and the work ethic that it takes to reach that level, how quickly that can go away when you have these kind of traumatic almost events, right? I mean, the, the very similar thing happened to me when I, when I had my, my back injury. And when you work at something so much and you do it for so much of your day, it becomes a part of who you are. It's inevitable where it mm -hmm. becomes your, your identity. And when you lose that and you lose that framework of like, hey, this is what I'm doing every single day, it's such a shock to the system where it's incredibly, incredibly hard to deal with. And I, I went through a very similar thing where like I, you know, it was my grades started going down, my work ethic started going down, like the motivation to get up and, and do the thing that you feel like you were meant to do is gone. And you almost feel like you kind of are starting over to a certain extent where it's like, well, I lost that whole, I, I no longer know 
how to be good at something. Sure. And you don't know if you're going to find something that you enjoy as much, you know, because that's the other thing is like, we all know that, that finding something that you really like and you've made yourself really good at it. So when that's gone, you're like, oh boy, you know, what if the next thing, I, I know I can make myself good at it, but what if I don't like it? You know, what if the spending those hours is tough? Um, and so that's also hard because now you have to go through that discovery process of like, I've got to find something that, that, that I want to invest my time in and I don't know what it is, right? I don't, I, you know, how do I find it? I got to experiment, could do an internship, go do this, go do that. But there's no other way other than to go try stuff, you know? So it's got to be the willingness to A, do the, the, the emotional work because at the end of the day, it is that psychological part. It, it's all psychological. Right, it's 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 not a matter of if or when you find you're, you're gonna find it, but it's a matter of willing to do the self work and go and and plug into why you're feeling this way. Go see a psychologist, whatever it might be. But going through that self work allows you to go do something else. But a lot of the times, what you what you instead want to do is escape, right? And and you Correct. see yeah. that level of habits within a lot of different things right when when you feel this negative emotion whether it's through an injury whether it's because you just went through a horrible breakup or you hate your job you just got you know your boss that, that just came in is horrible it's like well you can either do the self-work or you escape it through partying through partying sleeping around through whatever it might be right and that's the interesting part is like when you, when you go through that framework of understanding that like, hey, the sooner you understand why you're feeling this way, the sooner you do the self-work, the sooner you're going to be able to move on. Correct. What do you want to do? Yeah. And it's, look, it's, again, it is, you know, the human mind makes it complicated. It isn't complicated. It's like if something's genuinely done, right and you're feeling a sense of loss you've lost something it's okay to feel a sense of loss right um if you've made the mistake of wrapping your self-esteem up too densely in what you do you have to untangle it you know so you have to do the work to be like listen uh, you know i'm not just a tennis player tennis is something that i did but i can also do piano i can also do business i can also do this i can also do that so me the person is fine right i just have a skill set that i can no longer do mm. right but there's millions of other skill sets so if you look at the pool of, of resources of how to invest your time i mean it's you know whatever five million different careers and ideas out there and only one of them closed off to you so you still have four million nine hundred ninety nine thousand things you could do so in a lot of ways, you have to check yourself too because you have to be like, listen, although I want to feel woefully forlorn here, um, it's possibly a little bit of, of overkill to, to let this be something that I'm going to like, you know, um, lose sleep over for the next hundred years. Right? And then the other reality check is just like, listen, the longer you make it that you need to go through it you could go through a trauma for 40 years if yep. you wanted to right and it could become what you talk about all day every day for the rest of your life so 
anybody who, I think humility is actually probably still your number one anchoring point is because you're like, hey, I still have life, man. I could have been a cockroach. I could have been a leaf on a tree, um, but I'm not. I'm a human. I've got 16 million colors. I've got synapses going a million miles an hour available to me to use. Um, and it's really just a choice now. I've got to choose to live or choose to be a victim or choose to be sad. And, and I'm, choosing, I'm choosing option A, you know, so let's rock and roll. There, what's hard now more than ever, I think, is that there's more escapes than ever before. Now there's social media. And, and so the social media aspect of it is really, really interesting, right? Because when you go on social media and, and you're using it as an escape and you're feeling X, Y, and Z emotion, and then you jump on social media and you see everyone else, it seems happy, seems like they're having the time of their lives. It not only is a bad escape for this, but what it also does, I think subconsciously it tells you that maybe it's not okay that you're feeling this way. Sure. So it, it almost not even stalls it, but it makes it even worse because it's like, well, maybe me feeling this way is wrong, which is the way that I felt for a while, man. It's like, not only do I feel sorry for myself because I went through X, Y, and Z injury and I'm blaming myself for it, but I'm feeling like the feeling that I have is wrong. So I need to do more things to get that feeling out of the way. And I'm digging myself like further into the grave. Sure. You know, it's, again, the human brain, like we know this stuff, right? You know, so if you point it out, it's like, listen, if you watch Tom Cruise in a movie, um, that character that he plays is fictitious. It's not real, you know? So it's like, you can't admire the character um, because somebody made him up. You know, it's not, unfortunately, not a real achievement that he saved the world from the bomb that was about to go off on an asteroid or whatever it is. That's just all fiction, right? And when you understand psychology and you understand how important it is for most people to have recognition, right? They're going to put their best foot forward on social media. And because there's no checks and balances they can put a lot better than their best foot forward. You know, so they can go stand next to somebody's Ferrari and say, hey, look, what, uh, look what's happening in my life right now. Life is good. I'm in, in uh, you know, whatever, Cancun for the week driving a Ferrari, when in reality they just put a skin on. You know? um, and the individual, you know, have to train yourself and be like, what do we know? We know facts are that 95% of this is is not correct it's got a little bit of excess on it um, number two is you know everybody's dealing with with something in, in their life um, and number C it's like you know you, you have to be able to create perspectives that are helpful right um, so a perspective that might be like more correct there to build for yourself would be something along the lines of like, look, Facebook or social media was developed as a tool, right? Um, and so all tools are designed to be used, right? So if I have a tennis racket, it's meant to be used to create good tennis points and 
one matches. That's what that tool is there for, right? And so now you've got to ask yourself, am I using social media as a tool or am I using it as a source of entertainment, right? As a way to fill my hours. And so you've got to get back to that A, which is like, okay, you know, I need to use this to connect with people. I need to use this to maybe reach out and ask for help. I need to use this. But, and again, if you use any tool the wrong way around, um, it's not going to be nearly as beneficial as if you do it correctly. So, and those are all, you know, I always think of it like if, if you take a puzzle and then you shake it, you know, I just shook my screen. <laughs> um, all those pieces are jumbled again. And then you've got to slowly start putting them back together. And that's typically what trauma does, right? Trauma, trauma tends to like make some of those pieces slip out. Your perspective goes a little bit blurry. And then it's up to you to rebuild it, you know, and it's up to you to, to say, okay, let, let's put these things back in place. A lot of times, it's actually really good for you. You know, that's, that's the thing that you, you probably now firsthand know is what felt so unbelievably traumatic at the time actually gave you the opportunity to go through some of those behaviors that have now become ingrained, take the good filter out some of the bad, and you actually come out on the other side of it in even better shape than you've ever been before. Um, so it's definitely not always bad to go through trauma at all, although it sucks while you're going through it. Yeah, and it, it, personally, it took, me, it took me years to be able to, you know, there, there's two aspects of it, right? There's the physical part of me still having that injury and dealing that chronic pain, but also the mental part of still dealing with the trauma. So it was kind of knotted in my, my physical life. Um, but it, it, was, it was really interesting watching my, I had such a craving for wanting to work hard again, wanting to perform at that level that, you know, when I would slowly go on a, when I would go on a run and say, you know what, my body's feeling, you know, I did all the physical therapy stuff, I did all this stuff, and I can finally go on a run pain-free, Rather than me going one mile, I was like, hey, you know, I'm back at it. This is a chance for me to feel that euphoria that I felt two years ago when I was playing tennis, performing at the level that I was performing at. I'm going to go, instead of going on a two-mile run, which is going to be the optimal way to heal my back and get it up to where it needs to be, I'm going to go on a six-mile run. <laughs> and then <laughs> next day I can't walk. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. like, I, I found myself when I was in the middle of having this problem that I'm dealing with in school, the test that I'm studying for, I wanted to feel that level of like pushing myself. And rather than me having a, you know, okay, I have a test next week, I'm gonna study in the library, you know, an hour and a half every night to get up to the point, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go Saturday night for eight hours to feel that, I can't even describe it. <laughs> but. Sure. It's yeah. like the first six hours doesn't mean anything. You need hours six to eight to feel alive, you know. So that's where you got to get to. You're like, hey, um, I need to be in that place because I need to have gone through like four or five no's inside of myself and told them, bugger off, I'm going with yes. So it's only when you're in your like fifth or sixth like no that you've conquered that you now start to feel right. Now we're in the push zone, which is where I want to be, you know. We, we crave that, right? And, and that's, it comes back to the point you were touching on earlier. It's like, you know, I, I want it. It's up to the coach or, you know, one of the things that you're looking for is like, 
you, you want to get from 85% to 100% because that's where the growth and the pushing the boundaries happens. That's when you're differentiating yourself from, from other people and you're learning and you're, you're exploring that new framework. But it, w- it was really interesting watching myself and feeling myself subconsciously wanting that through different ways. But for a long, long time, they weren't in, in healthy ways. Um, it, you know, got involved, like even like looking back at it now, it was like through partying, right. And, and going out, it was like, you know, first four or five drinks that, you know, that doesn't matter. But when I'm pushing myself is when I'm on number five or six, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. just crazy. Right. But right. It comes- it's also very common, you know, um, and that's, those are all things that, that where I like to work with people because, you know, then the guilt kicks in and then they mm-hmm. feel something's wrong. And that's where you're like, no, it's very, very common. And, and here's the reason why is because there is a place that you found in training and on the tennis court um, that is hard to get to because you've got to push through an hour or 90 minutes to get there, right? Um, where you feel really alive and you feel and you are because you're right at the boundary of what you know. You're right at the boundary of your limitations, right? And that's exactly where you want to be. You want to go further than your limitations, right? And the only way to go further is you've got to go all the way up to the edge of the cliff and then go walk down into the ravine and see what's down there, you know? Um, and because the clarity of how to direct that energy isn't there, right and there's a little bit of like i want to feel that feeling today Mm. how else are you going to get it so people do that very very often they're like okay well there's one way i can do it i can be at 3 a.m on the dance floor boogieing it up on my seventh or eighth beer um it's not a healthy way but it's certainly tangible and a lot of people do it you know um and who knows it might even be a necessary part of the healing process at some level to to kind of just let everything go But sooner or later, the real part of like, okay, like I need the healthy version of this. Where can Mm -hmm. I find it? Kicks in for most people. And and I'm only going to say for most people because it actually doesn't. Like there's a lot of people who get stuck there and they get stuck there for years and years and years and years and years. And what they need to hear is what we're saying here. I was like, no, right? Like that unhealthy version is going to hurt you, man. And it's going to hurt you really badly. Not just opportunity, but your brain, the way it functions. Um, And so, like, you need to move past that at some point, sooner rather than later. Like, we've got to get you back. Um, And, like, it was my mom, too, that actually helped me. Because she came over to my house the one day. And it was like my beard was down here. And I had my, like, robe on. And I was just flipping through Netflix, you know, at 2 p.m., and she's like, what's the plan, brother? You just that you're done with life or, you know, and I was like, kind of, that's so I feel very good about doing absolutely nothing right now. And she's like, get that sorted out, go shave. I'm taking you for coffee and let's get you going. You know, anyway, that was, that was kind of like one of the turning points for me. Cause I was like, I better get, you know, I better, I better get something in motion here at some point. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for anybody that's listening to, to this, um, the big fallacy is that success is easy um, and that success is, um, 
it's not going to leave like its own scars on you and and you're not going to have to take like big bumps in the road like you are you know and a lot of the like external forces in life they they have no interest in whether you're left-handed black white muslim christian you know so if you have a car crash or something and and you get hurt or a loved one gets ill or like that stuff happens to it doesn't discriminate against whatever you got there's no way to insulate yourself from it um and and it has costs the cost is it can cost you a career it can cost you a loved one it can cost you um something that you're really passionate about and and i think that's where the humanity comes in too is 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 we all have to go through that even the, the absolute highest achievers that ever were um and oftentimes compassion and understanding and and like loving people um is is one of the things you know you ground them again in just like hey you know you don't need to be a millionaire for people to care about you my friend you don't need to be getting all A's at Harvard to have value like you know we value you just for you so getting grounded again um is also really really valuable because it resets inside of you which is very important that you choose to be excellent you don't have to be excellent for people to like you you don't have to be excellent to make your parents happy um and so you simply have the unbelievable luxury really of being inside of a body where if you want to be excellent you can um and that is pretty much the ultimate freedom i suppose as far as you as as it goes and you and you didn't lose that freedom in the traumatic event mm. Yeah, there, there's the trauma side of it, right, which triggers a lot of things. It's, it's like we were talking about before we started the podcast. It's like, you know, there, there's kind of two types of things that, that make change, right? One is the one where you don't have a choice and it just happens. But the second one, I think, sometimes is a little bit harder, right, where it's like you're, you're, you're not necessarily in, like, fight or flight, but it's uncomfortable just enough to where you can't sleep at night. Or where you're just you're not happy, you're you know, you're you're not in survival mode, you're comfortable, but that comfortability in itself creates unhappiness, right? To someone that's working forty, fifty hours a week in a job they don't like, but it pays the bills. But mm-hmm. they don't have the risk tolerance to say, you know what, I'm gonna quit. Like what what kind of frameworks or what kind of things do you recommend to those people? Especially because if they start something new they're not going to be good at it and they're kind of starting sure. from from ground zero like what kind of things do you recommend for those those kinds of people that are in those spots so well, let's just let's break it down to reality first so first of all is is it's it's a trap right you you get a job you you get yourself a nice house your kids are in private school you have to make whatever $10,000 a month in order to keep the ship sailing right now what's happened is you don't have time because you can't take a year off if you take six months off you're going to lose the house you're going to have to stop your kids going to private school and so the the place that you have to grow 
is very small. 50 hours goes to work, 20 hours goes to kids, 10 hours goes to looking after your body, and maybe you've got 10 hours left to choose or to chase something new. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of people bury that feeling. They're like, I can't afford to feel uncomfortable or unhappy with what I'm doing, so let me just bury it, right? Let me just bury it deep. Um, and there's no guarantees either. So it's like I could start something new and find out I like it even less than what I'm doing now, right? Um, or I could start something new and realize it's going to take me five years to scale up. So there's a lot of very valid reasons to want to bury that feeling, right? Um, the problem is you kill your soul or your alertness a little bit and you start to become a little bit of a zombie because by suppressing feelings you suppress other emotions as well right um and so you numb yourself to the world and you see a lot of people i think that are, are in that state um that are numb a little bit they're, they kind of go through the motions of every day you may even see some bleed out where they're angrier than they used to be, they're, they're, they're more easily frustrated, they maybe yell at the kids like more than was necessary for the crayon on the wall. Um, and those are all bleed outs of being unhappy, of being miserable, mm. you know? And what I would tell everybody there is like, listen, um, how important is this house really? I mean, there's millions of houses. Like you've stayed in college dorm rooms before. You know, um, and some of the best times you've probably ever had were, were in those states, you know. So, so don't let the trappings of success um, be the thing that stops you from chasing further growth. Because if you don't stimulate your cells and you don't stimulate yourself um, and you're kind of plateauing, um, it's, let's just think about the message. I mean, the, the, the whole world's message is life is really risky you got to play it safe you got to have the college degree you got to do this don't mess with it don't if it's working right. if it ain't broke don't fix it so i think the underlying message too is like it's wrong to question this like what's wrong with me for having the nice house and having this but still thirsting for something else still being hungry for something more um and i think you know what i would tell people is like look First of all, we already have discussed that like anything is achievable, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're no longer happy in this career, it's 100% achievable to get a career that you are happy with, to get yourself back to a place where you look forward to waking up in the morning and you're excited, right? Now you gotta ask yourself like, what's the payoff to your friends and your family and your kids and the people that you're surrounded by seeing you in that state? Do they want robotic you for the next 20 years that's disconnected, that's got no energy to do anything? Or do they want, house isn't quite as nice while you figure it out, right? You sold the Ferrari, you now have a Honda Civic. People don't really give a shit about that stuff. It's like we made it up in our minds that me having a Ferrari makes me more important. They don't give a damn. You add value to people through how you interact with them. You add value to people by giving them hope and energy and excitement and fun and and um etc so i'm like that's the currency that you really trade in but don't worry about all the other fancy stuff um 
I do think that you need to be smart about how you manage the risk. Yeah. You know, so if there's a way that the two can overlap for a little while until it grows big enough. So there's ways you can build bridges to, to the next island that are smart. Um, but with planning, with like intelligent planning, there's very, very little that you, that you can't achieve, you know. So now if you look at it through the lens and you say to someone, listen, this thing is 100% achievable. 100%. It's been done, you know, you're, not even, you're not the first person to climb Everest. It's been done hundreds of times. Right. Thousands and thousands of people have changed careers. You are not the first one. It's doable. So now it's like, okay, if you know that something's 100% achievable and then you don't go after it, how much regret are you going to have as that starts to like simmer into your system? So now you have boredom, you have frustration, right? You have that uneasiness because you want to be challenged. You want something that you can grow into, right? And you have guilt because you held yourself back from going after it. Um, I think that that creates kind of a stew inside of you for a really unhealthy individual. It, it, it's, it's all like, I love the way you, you put things in, in frameworks, right? Where it's like, okay, well, think about it. You feel this way, but put it in this framework. And then it's like, okay, well, when you put it like that, it makes sense, right? And the thought process of like, at the end of the day, when you, when you suppress the negative emotions, you automatically suppress the positive ones as well, to a certain extent. The, the ones that come up naturally, not the ones that come with like going out and partying and the, the, the one that come from just short-term gratification. And like really the way you add value to people and you, you connect with people is by how you interact with them. So if you're suppressing the negative emotion, you're suppressing the positive emotion, you're, you're suppressing your emotions, how do those interactions with the people that you love and the people that you're around, how much are you limiting them by suppressing these emotions? So if you're sitting in this, X, Y, and Z scenario or situation and you're suppressing these emotions but you feel like it's okay but then you think about it like well how many interactions am I just limiting and am I not adding value to people because sure. I'm limiting them I mean let's ask ourselves a simple question here. how many people that are kind of in that state right don't even want to see people right so they're like hey there's a barbecue on Friday night ah, psh, too much effort I'm not, I'm not going to go right and so that interaction with Uncle Sally or whatever didn't even happen. So there's yeah. zero value add to Uncle Tom because you never even went to see him because you're so wrapped up in, in how you feel, you know, because that suppression creates like low energy, right? The, that overall feeling of I want more, I want a different challenge, right, is there. It's yeah. pervasive. It doesn't go away. And what ends up happening is that because you're not doing anything about it, it just saps your energy, right? And then you just find yourself just avoiding shit. You know, it's like, I'm avoiding this, I'm avoiding that, I'm avoiding this. And you're technically half dead at this point because you're literally like saying no to every opportunity to go out and live, right? And that's where alcohol and drugs are so, so powerful in a negative sense is because they can allow you to not think about that pervasive thing. They have the power to make that thought go away. And that's why people gravitate towards it. Because as soon as they're not 
drinking or, or partying or whatever, that feeling's back, right? Mm. Um, and it's basically like an annoying salesman that's at your door. Like, knock, 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 hello, yes, we'd like to sell you on a better life. Okay, no, thank you. Knock, 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 back again, better life awaits you, let's do something, no. And it just never ends until eventually you answer the door and say, all right, come on in, show me the damn thing I'm signing, today's the day, let's go, right? Yeah, and, and it's like one of the things that I, I talked about in, in this first episode is like, I think like even with me, one of the things that held me back and the reason I suppressed it for so long was I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have, like, I didn't know what that next step was going to be. And I was like, you know what, like, let me wait before I take action on it and on anything. And I'm just going to keep this to myself until in my own head, I figure out what the tangible steps are going to be on how I get to that next step. When 99% of the time, there's not going to be those tangible steps. It's not going to exactly be there. Right. But what you need to do is take this, this seed that's there. All that it is is, it's, is a seed. And instead of keeping it in, take it out a little bit, water it, give it the sun that it needs by you thinking about it. But more importantly, talking to people about it. You just need so to acknowledge important. that it's there and call up your mom or your dad or your friend or whoever's around you say, hey, you know, JB, this is what I've, what I've been feeling, man. And, and the way you, if, if you start talking about it and, and watering it a little bit, it's really interesting how slowly things start falling in place. But yeah, the first absolutely. time is very scary because you don't know what it's going to be, what's, what's around the corner. But you want, it to, you want to know what's around the corner before you take the step. Totally. And it's just, it, it's another, you know, like... In my course, I basically go through what I call like mental errors, right? Mm. Um, and that, that's a mistake. You know, it's like holding the wrong grip on a tennis racket is a mistake. And the fix is to get the correct grip. Um, same thing with that error. Is it's like you chicken and the egg, right? But you cannot know because you don't have a crystal ball what the future is going to look like, Right. But yet, because we all want to diminish risk as much as possible, we want to try and know what the future looks like before we start going towards the future, right? And that's a zero-sum game because it's like, well, you're not going to know. And that means we're going to have to jump off into the unknown as miserably scary as that is. There is no other way, you know? And again, let's go back to the Facebook as a great example. Is like, People are embarrassed to admit that they're struggling with stuff. They're embarrassed right. to admit that they're not doing as well as people or they think people hope that they're doing, right? So they put the Ferrari, they put the nice thing, they put this. That's what they want the world to see. Um, and they're very embarrassed to tell their friends like, hey, bro, I'm actually not going through my best time right now, right? And so you see a lot of people avoid talking about it. So just what you spoke about there, which is to be like, you know, people love helping as much as we're embarrassed, but they do. And, and you know, we actually all have a huge amount of, of humanity inside and people are like, hey, you know, it's, it's normal, man. You just had a big trauma. You just had a big thing. You just had this happen. Um, so let's, let's see if we can get you on your way a little bit and let's see if we can, even if right now is not the time to go forward and conquer the next thing. Maybe right now is the time to like get it to flush out of the system and just kind of, you know, heal the wounds. Um, 
But very, very important. You know, I can't stress enough to, to anybody who's listening to this how important your team yeah. and the people you surround yourself with is. Um, it, it's probably one of your biggest assets on planet Earth. Um, and, and, you, you know, you've got, you got to use them. You know, like, you know, I think athletes are not good at that because we, you know, we don't want to show the opponent pain. We don't want to show that what they're doing is annoying the hell out of us. Um, so you keep the brave face on. And then I think sometimes you carry that through into, into the real world. Um, and you don't want to admit to friends, family, girlfriends, whatever that you're, that you're going through a thing. Um, and... But the sooner you do, you know, you, you, that's where your support group kicks in. And, and, um, and it's like anything else. People don't like to be taken for granted. So if you're just leaning on people all the time for yeah. everything for five years, they're going to be like, hey, I think I've done my part here. It's time for you to, you know. But I think we all make that mental error of, of being embarrassed and, and, you know, resisting asking for help. And like I said, when I went to, to those, I think I ended up being just two sessions with, with that uh, um, sports psychologist. Um, that's all I needed to hear. You know, like yeah. he, he was obviously good, um, but it is basically like I just needed to, to get my perspective in alignment. And then once that piece is like a broken engine part, you know, when you start your car and the carburetor is broken or one of the cogs is broken off. I mean, the car doesn't work, man. It's like, and as soon as you fix that one little tiny part and it's, it's moving again, the car, the car can go. So sometimes, you know, the fix is really not that complicated and you kind of think to yourself, geez, why did I spend three years on that? It really wasn't that big of a deal, you know? Mm. So... Yeah, and I know we don't. I know we're running out of time a little bit, but one thing I want to touch on, right? Because I went recently, really recently, went through this progression myself in in finding that next kind of evolution, right? I went through that progression when I first injured myself to when I, you know, started working in, in sales, and I saw that growth, right? But even then, it's like, okay, well, you go through this progression, eventually you go to the next one, and. I mean, I've, I've gone through it where I, I take that jump and I start talking about it, right? You go through it, you water the seed, you give it sunshine, you have a group of people around, you have the team, and even taking the leap. And I know we touched on this before starting this. Even when you take the leap, it's hard. <laughs> even when you're starting this, this journey, right? Like, I mean, my first, the first month of, of doing it, like, man, it was filled with a lot of, like, self-doubt it was filled with a lot of exhaustion it was times when i woke up i was like dude like what the hell am i even doing right maybe i'm meant to maybe this isn't for me right maybe i don't have what it takes maybe i you know i i'm, I'm just meant to be working a, a nine to five and to be safe and to live a comfortable life and, you know it, it it felt no matter how hard working i like to think i am or whatever my work ethic is is like it, it felt like for for weeks on end Every morning was a challenge, man. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what, one of the things that you touch on within your, your mental toughness course and what you're working on building out is like that's natural. It's like a natural feeling versus it being something that's ingrained in you. So, yeah, first of all, nobody likes to waste effort, right? So it, it's very nice if you go like, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to teach 10 lessons and I'm going to get $1,000 for the day, right? So my 10 hours has a tangible reward, mm. right? 
When you're an entrepreneur, it's like, okay, I have a great idea for a product. I'm going to take 20 grand. We're going to get a prototype made, fly my boys into China. We do this. And then you come back and you look at the product, you put it out there in some, some focus groups and everybody hates it. So you're like, shit, that's like 700 hours of work plus 50 grand down the toilet. And all of that effort resulted in a negative result, a minus 50K, right? Now, when you start your next product, in the back of your mind, you're like, hey, this little bad boy could not only not be the breakthrough of all breakthroughs, it could cost me another 50K, right? And so you can understand like the hesitation there, right? Yeah. So when you're an entrepreneur, it's not linear effort to results. And that's what a lot of people don't, don't get through is that piece that's like, yeah, I could have an enormous investment of time and ideas and sleepless nights and the result could not be favorable at all. Um, and so I'm going to have to start again, you know, so you, you really need um, to, to basically anchor yourself in like discipline and process because you basically got to like, you know, golden rule number one of being an entrepreneur is you got to take a ton of action, right? Golden rule number two um, is developing the like feedback loop um, is very, very difficult because it can take a long time before something has traction, right? So it might be 18 months before you start getting your first payoff for something. Um, you know, I'll give you an example, like, but the, the book that I wrote, I mean, sales in the first year were microscopic, a couple of hundred copies a month. Um, and now that we're in like beginning of year two, I'm starting to get a lot of consulting work as a result of that, right? But if you look at the process of like the writing of the book is about two and a half years, editing was like six or eight months, um, probably spent about 15 or 20 grand on, on marketing and on, you know, just all bits and pieces, cover design and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and for all intents and purposes, it'd be like, that was dead. You know, it was wasted time and energy, three years approximately of, of effort on that one. And results were, you know, I mean, you make what, five, six bucks a book. So 200 copies a month, it's peanuts, you know. Um, but now I'm starting to get some, some, some high ticket consulting work, um, which is, is a huge payoff. You know, instead of doing 10 hours on court for $1,000, I can do 90 minutes in a corporate setting for, for 2,000, 3,000. Um, so that's just how it goes, you know? So it's like at the time I was like, I'm, I'm dead set on, on writing a book. Um, and if I'd thought about it too hard or if somebody had said, look, the first three years, you're not going to get anything out of it. I said, well, maybe there's a better use of my time. Um, and maybe there was, you know, but anyway, yeah, being an entrepreneur is problem solving day in and day out. It's a lot of, you know, if I could give any young entrepreneur advice, um, it's basically your brain can sometimes get fixated on an idea, right? And so you'll think about whatever it is for two, three, four, five, six hours, right? And even if, you're, even if you are actioning it, right, it still might be too big of a chunk of your day for that one item. Um, so what you really got to get good at is, is like ending ideas, being like, you know, just like when you go to the gym, you go to the gym, you finish your workout, 
and then it ends. We're done with gym for the day, right? Now I can focus on something else, right? And if you can do that with thoughts, because one of the things that used to happen to me a lot is like, I'd think about it, and then I would go back, think about it some more, go back, think about it some more, and be like, geez, I just spent nine hours on that thing today. Like, that's, that's too much, you know? Um, and especially with problems, sometimes one of the nice things about being an entrepreneur is that sometimes problems are not even worth thinking about at all because you end up not needing to solve it. You know, so you have this huge problem with whatever it is, um, and it turns out that you're not going to do that thing anyway. You know, so so sometimes anyway, mental discipline of like just like you know being able to tell yourself, all right, like I'm done with that for today. I'll come back to it tomorrow, um, but I don't want to think about it again because I want to put my my energy into something else. Right, um, is is a very very helpful tool for you know. So what I do is I'm a compartmentalizer. So like I break it down into like function points. So like, you know, the product itself, what can I do towards that today? Then a little bit on the marketing side, what can I do with marketing, right? Then on the innovation side, set aside 15 or 20 minutes to think what's next, what's new, anything else that I can think of. Um, and just try to like break it into at least a couple of little sections so you spend right. a little bit of time on each one because that's the other thing entrepreneurs get wrong is they, they, they're really good at one thing um, but they don't leave space for that other thing at all and as a result that really low like effort into that one thing whether it's marketing or fundraising or branding whatever it is comes back to be the thing that doesn't allow that idea to really go and, and flow you know. I mean, it's, it's just like just like tennis, right? If, if you work on your forehand all day and it's just all you do 24-7, you have the most beautiful forehand in the world, and you're like, well, this is it. And then it's like, what about your serve, what about your back, and your volume, or actually playing it out in a point, you know, you're screwed, right? And it's the same thing being an entrepreneur. Having that balance is, is massive. And before, before we wrap this up, man, could you, could you tell me a little bit about that mental toughness course that you're building out and kind of what, what's next for you as far as like, cause man, this has been really good stuff. I'm, I'm taking pages of notes, but like, what are you, what are you working on right now? Yeah. So, so the, the course that I'm, you know, I'm hopefully going to wrap it up in the next three months. We're probably about, so I've got, I've got a big plate this year cause I got my second book that's um, in editing right now. So that one should be done in the next six to eight weeks. Um, and then I have the, the mental toughness course. Um, and basically, this particular course um, covers two, two aspects. So aspect number one is the neuroscience of success, right? Um, so just to give you like a, you know, an easy, um, like off the cuff one is what happens inside your brain when you start something new? Mm. Right. And what happens inside your brain is that um, it typically provides resistance. Right. Um, and, you know, very caveman day ish, but it's like it's comfortable to stay here in your little piece of the river. But if you go over the mountain, there could be a pack of lions waiting and you could get eaten. You know, so there's a resistance to wanting to go over there because you're not sure what's on the other side. Right. Then what happens is if you stick with it a little bit, right? So let's take somebody who just started a diet. That's probably the most common one that a lot of people have done, right? 
Right. You do it and do it and do it and do it. You don't really feel like you're making any progress. Um, and it's kind of just nothing's happening. And then you start to see like a little bit of a result, right? And then your brain chemistry changes because then it starts to give you um, some like norepinephrine, starts to give you some dopamine, starts to give you some serotonin. So you start to get those reward feelings, right? And now you find like a huge amount of motivation, right? Similar to when you go to the gym, like a lot of times it's only after the first 20 minutes that you really want to get going. Those first 20 minutes, they're like, you could easily have quit. So you have to understand that initial reluctance yeah. of your body to like commit. Um, and if you don't, because what happens to a lot of people is they think it's them. They think, oh, it's me. I am a bad person. I am not motivated. And part of it is just going like, here's the neuroscience guys. You are just like everybody else in that same situation right. where you're going to have to keep at it until your brain chemistry changes, right? Um, one of the other ones that's there is um, when you compete or when you get like highly stressed out and you enter that fight or flight mode, what happens is that your body like switches off certain parts of your brain. So if you can imagine, again, caveman days, if you're getting chased by a lion, um, your body's not going to say, hey, this is a fantastic moment to write a poem. Roses are red, violets are blue. Um, there's a giant lion, you know. And so what happens is it switches off your creativity, right? And then you end up with um, tunnel vision, um, not in a good way, right? You tend to only see the problem. But part of that is because you physically, your limbic system is actually like switching off, um, and so you become very, very non-creative, right? So one of the things that, that you have to really do from a young age is, and this is why, you know, if you go back to earlier in the conversation where like parents are purposefully like not letting their kids experience any stress, right? Is they're not even getting to the point where they're stressed out and they're getting tunnel vision and they're losing creativity and they're losing their problem-solving capacity, right? Um, they never even get that far. So now you want to know why people are really, really poor problem solvers is because when they start getting stressed for the first time, they now have to go to that part where the brain switches half of it off and right. most of your problem solving skills are not even available to you. And you got to work through that. You got to work through where I can be in a competition and be stressed and still be creative and still rationally weigh up yin and yang and come up with somewhat reasonable attempted solutions, right? Um, and so that's, that's just like a little tidbit, but basically it's the idea of what's the neuroscience, right? Um, then we move on to like, what are the most crucial beliefs that you need to install, right? So like, for example, beliefs on failure um, and what failure represents, um, beliefs on like how you conduct yourself, etc um, etc et so I have about 30 of them there but I think that every single person who wants to be successful should have them they're all fundamental um, and basically here's another one for example it's like the idea that like hard work gets you results mm. right and it doesn't that's a mental error right because if I spend my whole day doing the hard work of folding t-shirts at Walmart and I make $8 an hour, 
I can spend 16 hours a day there and not have any money after 10 years because it's a lot of effort. I'm a hard worker. I get a lot of dignity and respect for being someone who can push the hours, but they're not intelligent hours, right? Mm. So what you really want is a hybrid of hard work and growth in your utility, right? So if you go hard work at Harvard and after that you are now a brain surgeon, well, your utility is far, far higher than the person who's folding T-shirts at Walmart, right? Um, and so you have to chase utility as well as, and this is where the entrepreneurship comes, because a lot of athletes have high utility, but they don't have good decision-making on how to deploy it, right? right. So just because I can play the guitar, I have to choose what notes go where when I write my own song, right? Is it going to be about current pol political, about a girl that I love, about a fruit? And deciding how to spend your utility is one of the hardest things in the world to do, right? Um, and you need to have a good mental framework for, um, for making those type of decisions, right? And the sooner, you know, the younger you start, um, the, the better off you are. If I'm someone where I'm, I'm working a, um, a nine-to-five and I'm not necessarily someone that wants to get into building my – starting my own business and, and getting into that area, do you feel like there's still areas within your course or what you cover that can still help them elevate other areas of their lives? Absolutely. So um, it's because it's, it's not just about success in the workplace, right? It's about right. success throughout the pie chart. So it's like, okay – Let's say that you are working your nine to five and you're content there, right? But my guess is that you would still like to learn something new, right? You'd still like to experience um, cool, new, fun stuff. And that could be on the playing side of life. So maybe it's like go rent yourself a, a four-wheeler for the day and go jump some sand dunes. Yeah. Go rent a boat, you know, go and, go and jump. So you might need to improve in the play part of your life. You might find that you've gotten a little bit bored and because you're not stimulating yourself, right, um, you're, you don't have a lot of energy to engage with your family as much, right? So maybe even though you're content, that boredom is making you suppressed a little bit. You don't have as much energy for your kids. You don't have as much energy to this. So, so that course is about rectifying some of those things and being like, listen, it's right. perfectly fine to be a middle-of-the-road achiever financially, work-wise, right? Because you like to achieve relationship-wise or you like to achieve physically or you like to achieve in your community. You know, it's like, yeah, I want to go to my church and I want to go donate some stuff or I want to go volunteer hours here. So... The question is always, like, how am I spending my time, right? And is the baggage or the carryover from one section, for most people their biggest section is work, um, killing progress in other areas of my life, right? Um, and that's, that's, that's a huge one for me because, yeah, I don't necessarily feel like it's always financial. Um, it's more a question of, like, how can you unlock trapped energy and let it flow to, to cool areas, you know? It, it's, it's I, I don't know what the word is, but it's performing in that zone of 
like challenge of optimal progression and and that that's kind of the root of of why i want to start this podcast to begin with is like you don't have to be this career driven or financial driven person to want to improve in something there's so many different areas that you you can always evolve in and find the the challenge for you to keep evolving because what what i've discovered jb is like i i feel most alive most stimulated when i'm being challenged when i'm in that 85 percent percent zone and i'm pushing to 86 87 88 that's when i feel most alive and it, it it's not just through work it's physically it's it's mentally it's reading it's it comes in, in, in anything and, and that's what I'm starting to discover about myself and it's the fun part is when you acknowledge that that framework is there mm-hmm. right and you acknowledge like the road and the the journey that goes with it right and, and that's what I'm so excited about and, and what I loved about the first book but I think what I'm more excited about in the, in the, in the course in the second book that you're writing is like the aspect of like if, if you kind of know what's coming and you know the ideal framework of what to expect, then you're not freaking out about what when you're in the weeds all the time, right? Because like what I struggled with is like I didn't – when I'm in that 10-foot point of view and I can only see like what's in front of me in terms of the trees and these walls and everything, that's all I can see. That's my perspective. But if I'm getting the perspective from someone that's 10,000 feet up on a mountain – and you can see that right in front of the tree is the goal that I want to reach. And all you need to do is get past it. But I'm like, you know what? Another tree, man, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not oh, going to get out of this forest. Trees. Right? But if, if I'm getting JB yelling at me saying, hey, dude, the tree is – once you get past it, it's going to open it up. And then you're going to reach that first result. And then after that first result, you're going to feel this feeling. And that feeling is going to allow you to carry on to the next one and get past the next 20 trees. Once you have that, it – it takes a lot of the anxiety and I think the self-doubt that just naturally builds up because naturally our brain has that advantage over us because it wants to be as efficient as possible. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Like your brain doesn't want to actually do the hard stuff. Your brain is wired to go, okay, Clemente needs to conserve as much energy as possible in order to survive. From if, if man, if we were cavemen, that'd be amazing. That would be the skill you want. Exactly, it's updated. We're running on Apple iPhone version one, (laughs) but there's a version 14. So you got to update the software there because that's exactly what it is. And we know it's not right because of how it makes you feel. Because you do that, you say, All right, I'll play it safe for the next five years. And then you wake up and you're like, Well, I've put on 30 pounds because I'm bored and I eat all the time, and you know, I've let this go and I've let that go and I basically just feel like shit and it's like oh yeah that's right now I remember it was fun to learn it was fun to grow like you know we often because that's the other thing is you is the human brain is wired to perceive negativity at a far higher percentage than positivity Mm. right so when you look at how many cool things have happened in your life First girlfriend, first this, first that. But you'll remember the trauma of like an injury way more vividly than all those cool things, right? When if you think about it, you're like, hey, I remember freaking Sarah. She was amazing. What a cool experience that was to meet her. But you don't dwell on that because we consume the positive events 
right? But we blow up the negative ones, right? And so we got to flip that balance around too. That's why I like doing a little bit of like appreciation every day is so right. key yeah. because you tell yourself, hey, I've actually had a ton of really awesome things happen to me, mm-hmm. you know? Like we're doing good here, man. I, I, you know, I got a great family. I got this, I got that. And yes, I've taken my blows. Um, I've had some, 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 you know, you've had your big ones. I've had my big ones, like with, with all the shenanigans at the club. Um, but you know, you, you, you also wake up and you say like, Hey, um, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I could have lost a limb. It could have been, uh, someone I really care about that's, that's gone. So I actually don't, as much as that thing sucked, like I still have way too much cool stuff to live for, but you've got to remind yourself of it. You have to like take a minute. And I do, I think being humble, critical, right? Because you've got to, you've got to be able to tell yourself, listen, very, very good chance that there's things I need to learn. Very, very good chance that I'm not as much of a genius as I thought I was. So I've got to invest in knowledge. I've got to invest in growth because I'm not the bee's knees. So for me, as a person, I gotta get better. If I can get 1% better today, that's, that's key. Um, so humble, so that you tell yourself I need, I need to improve, and then have some gratitude, because it's like, hey man, I could have been a cockroach or a leaf on a tree. I'm not, I got a lot of cool stuff happening. And even this challenge, right, I'm actually secretly enjoying. It's hard. But I like it, you know, and even though I, I, if I never see another tree again for the next hundred years, I might be happy. Deep down, I love the damn trees and I'm just going to go hug one right now, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. Awesome, awesome stuff, man. Justin, I, I, I appreciate you, man. It was. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This was really good stuff. I, I look. I, I'm I'm so excited in in building this out. I, I couldn't have picked a, a had a better guest for this kind of topic because you know it, it was like you know I look back at the the times the pivotal times I think in my life or like you know the events that kind of the people that shaped me into you know the person I am today. And man, you're you're up at, if not at the top of that list, man. You're you're really far up there. So I'm I'm really grateful. And it was amazing to kind of dive into this stuff and and you know be able to touch on this I, I think there's a lot of really good stuff that we've covered in this podcast for people to kind of take action on and not just talk about theory but like hey what you know what do you actually do um and then what i'll do yeah, is I'd, I'd love to see some of the questions if anybody that yeah. watches can post them up but i think that'd be nice to to to, to get some of those answered too what, what I'll do is I'll post this up both on, on YouTube, the video version, and then on Spotify. And then what I'll do in the description is um, I'll post some of the links in terms of how to find you, kind of, you know, if they want to reach out to you, what, what do they do? If they want to order the book, what do they do? Or if they want to learn more about the course and stuff that you've got working on, um, I'll attach those as well so people can find you as, as well, man. Fantastic, man. That's awesome. I appreciate it, man. Good stuff. All right, and, man. And thanks, thanks for taking the time, man. Appreciate you. Of course. Yeah.